Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. Hey, everybody, thanks for having me. Really excited to get started here. This is my talk, How to Spy on Your Competition. That's me at the top in the cursive. Chris Zukowski presents to you how to spy on your competition and uh, not make the same mistakes they do. So let's get started here. Okay, um, I, I'm i in the business, so I get the same question like, how do we become Valheim? Or should we do the TikToks? Or how many wish lists do I need? Very good questions. All of them are good. Um, and I'll get to those. Uh, but this is who I am. This is why I, I get these questions. This is, um, so I'm a marketing strategist. I just tell people the best kind of things to do um, when it comes to marketing your indie game. Uh, I run this website called howtomarketagame.com. And through that website, I write a weekly blog post where I just look at the industry, see what the numbers are, talk to other indies, find out what's working for them, what's not. Um, and I also do consulting for uh, different clients from all scales, from publishers to games as a service to individual teams. So I uh, really have my hands kind of in a bunch of different places. But one thing that I always get questions about are these things that everybody else has the power to, like everybody can do this. There's no special trick. So I am going to show you exactly how to kind of do what I do, which is just spy on the competition, find out how other companies, how their industry or how other people are just doing what they're doing, which is getting wish lists, selling games, you know, being successful or failing. And I'm going to show you how to look. So we're going to look at a few things today. We're going to figure out who to spy on. Like, which person do you actually want to spy on? Um, what data to steal slash collect? And we're not stealing, but it makes it more interesting to say it that way. Um, we're going to figure out how they got there. Like, how did they become so popular? Um, and then we're going to kind of talk about the ethical side of whether it's bad to spy on your competition. I'm, I'm only joking, you all. And then we're going to say, um, let's. the question everybody always has is, how did Valheim do what it's doing? And I'm going to show you how to use all the spy skills that I teach you in how to actually do what Valheim did. Uh, you're probably not going to do what Valheim did. Just a little tip. OK, let's figure out who to spy on. That's part one here. OK, um, everybody loves Blizzard. You know, a lot of people get into making their own games because they're like, oh, I love Diablo. You know, this one time I saw Blizzard do this thing. So they kind of pick up the marketing habits of a big company like Blizzard, like uh, for the Overwatch launch, they uh, they did a mural in downtown Sydney. They had like these artists, like three artists paint this beautiful mural of all the Overwatch characters and stuff. And I'm gonna tell you, this is a free tip. Do not fly out to Sydney and paint a mural to promote your game. You're not Blizzard, that's not gonna help. In fact, don't even do it in your own town. Uh, it's just, it's a, something totally different. You've, the, here's the thing is you gotta understand is Blizzard is a publicly traded company. Uh, they're working at a different scale than we are. They're, they're like planets and we're like atoms to compare to them. So you can't just follow the trends of what any other company is doing. You have to pick the right company. So 
here's the first rule of spying, um, is you've got to find the right target when you're doing your spying. So um, here's here's this thing. I'm gonna give you some spy gear that you can use to actually kind of like do your spying. And there's this great site called game-stats.com. Go there. Um, the neat thing about them is you can kind of type in the revenue, the budget that you're looking for. And this is like how much this game has estimated earned. This site basically scraped all of Steam and they do it on a regular basis. And they collect all the mark, the, all the information, whether they've, um, how many reviews they've gotten, what game it is. So if you're selling a game on Steam, you need to do your market research. And the best place to do this is like gamestats.com where you can do this filtering and you can get some results like this, where if you find your type of game, cause you can search by tag. Like if I search roguelikes, you can see the estimated revenue. Now, the, now these revenues are estimates, but they're better than nothing. And so what I'm saying is that you should kind of go through this list and pick out games that are kind of in your range. Like if you can expect hoping to get $55,000 revenue, net revenue of this, that's a target game. That's some, that's a good spy target there. So go through this list, pick out a couple that you think your dev team can do, because let's face it, you're probably not gonna get millions of dollars, um, and pick those out. Now, what I do is I always have a spreadsheet with my targets. So I just made a very simple market research spreadsheet and I just have a couple rows, capsule, URL to their Steam page, short description, their tags, price, release date, that kind of stuff. And then I just take all the information that I learned from that tool and when I found a couple target games, I just add them to this list. Just all the information here, just add them to the list. Then go to YouTube, see what fans say about their game. Like look up their launch trailer, look up any Let's Plays and just, kind of see what fans say and you'll find stuff. They always describe the game so well. You know, they say, ah, this is a run and gun roguelike. Or I like this guy that said, best looking jump and gun since hell yeah. At first I thought he was just being like, that's how millennials or uh, Gen Z's talk. They just go since hell yeah. But then it turns out there's actually a game called hell yeah. So like sometimes you have to read between the lines. And I think that guy needs to work on his punctuation. You should capitalize hell yeah. But anyway, so that's a game. So this the reason you do this is you're trying to look for um, games that are similar to yours that you're not even aware of. So you kind of learn the kind of web of games. So there's just more targets that you can kind of start spying on. Again, don't just pick games because they make a lot of money. Focus on games, you know, look at their trailers, look at their art. You wanna find targets for games that you could actually produce. Like, does your team have the skills to make those type of games? Now, by doing this, you're gonna kind of just understand the types of games that are possible and how much they earn. That's the point here. Um, so once you've done that and you've found those games, we're gonna look at what kind of data to steal from them. And when I mean steal, I mean, just look at publicly available websites, but you know, it's more exciting to say it that way. Okay, so here we go. Steam, if you haven't heard yet, runs on wish lists. It determines so much, it's such a correlation to the success of your game. Um, and a lot of people ask me, how many wish lists do I need to get before I launch my game? Um, here's the thing is, I don't know, you can do the research and I'm gonna show you exactly how. So our next piece of spy gear is steamdb.info. I love this site. I actually have it bookmarked on the top of my browser cause I'm always checking this thing. The neat thing that they do is wish lists are private. I, they're, they're kind of proprietary information. Not everybody can see the wish lists, but there's something called followers, which is public. It's kind of the cousin to wish lists. So anybody can follow any Steam game and follower count is public. And what this steamdb.info site does is they 
report this over time. And you can look at a chart to see how their followers have grown. And SteamDB is also awesome because they put a little release flag when that game has actually released. So you can go to the chart and see how many followers they had at that, re at that release. And kind of the math, it's, it's fuzzy. It's a little bit here and there. I just like to do 10 just because it, it's easier to do the math. So essentially, for every one follower, most games get about 10 wish lists. So you can do the math. You can say, oh, just multiply it by 10. So for instance, let's do this game that I found using the previous tool, which is Atlas Rogues. Maybe it's a corollary spy target. If I go to steamdb.info, you just go through. I can see when they launched, they had about 288 followers. That's just what the chart told me. So I can see, multiply it by 10, 2,880 wishlists when they launched. There you go. Now you know kind of how many wishlists you should have when you launch. So what I do is I add that to my chart. Remember the following target chart? I just put it on there. Just say, hey, that's how many wishlists they had or how many followers they had. And repeat this for five to six games. Like you want not just to pick the games that are like your dream game where it's like, oh, we launched and we had this many, you know, game, they sold so many, we're, we're all gonna be Valheims. You're probably not. So I always pick a low performer, medium performer, high performer, and just kind of pick them out based off of that. So you've got the launch goal, you know, how many wish lists you generally need for your range, you know, if you're underperforming, you need about this many wish lists. If you're knocking out of the park, you need about this many wish lists. How did people get to there? Um, I'm gonna do that, I just, I need to take a little water break. Um, while you're there, here's my website, howtogetafreegame.com slash free. You can, um, you know, I give a free book if you sign up for my mailings. And what I do is I just send out um, weekly information about how my game works, uh, about how games work on Steam, all this kind of stuff. So let me just grab a water break while you, you sign up for this. Just one, just one moment. Okay. Hope you had fun doing that. Okay, now let's get down to the nitty gritty details. You wanna know how they got there. How did they get that many wish lists before they launched? So we're gonna basically look step-by-step step of how they got that many wish lists by launch date. And this is gonna answer that question, well, should I do TikTok? Um, side note, I don't know why, these are two separate movies. Robert Redford is always on a hilltop with binoculars with guys with baseball caps. I don't know what it is. And nice jackets too. That Robert Redford, what a hunk. Anyway, so let's take a look here. Um, we got the point where we know how much they launched with. This is from steamdb.info. There's two different ways that marketing happens on Steam. You've got your boring daily growth rate, and that's just the algorithm, just doing stuff day in, day out, giving you wish lists by surfacing your game on Steam. The second half is kind of owned media, stuff you do, you push out. This is like going viral. These are those kind of exciting marketing pushes that you can do. So what should I do to market my game? We're gonna look at the exciting bit. This is the one where you go viral. This is how we figure it out. So you go to steamdb.info, and you just look for those little spikes. You can see it on the graph. There's these little periods where they go up, up, and I just kind of underlined them right there. You can see kind of those little spikes. And some games that are really big, it's really hard to see those spikes, so you can actually zoom in a little bit and see where those spikes are. But basically, all you do is you pick a spike, and you can kind of figure it out whether it was TikTok or not. So I'm going to pick one. Here it is, uh, February 28th. Let's just pick this one that's the first one in this list. This is just a, an example game here. So 
on February 28th, they had a jump. What was this jump? What'd they do? What magic spell did they cast? One thing that I typically do is I'll start with their Steam page and I go to Community Hub. It's on the top right of Steam. There's a little button called Community Hub. Click that, then you click the news button that's on the next page and you can see all their news. And you can look through to see when their things are. Now, this one says June 22nd, they had E3 and VFX. We're looking for February 28th, so that's not it. So sometimes you'll see just a real easy answer like, oh, on February 28th, they were in E3, but that doesn't line up. So we gotta do a little bit more investigation here. Let's use this other bit of spy gear, which is twitter.com slash advanced search. Well, search dash advanced. This is cool. Um, so it's this pop-up that is, I think, staged for mobile, so it doesn't really fit on the screen, so I had to take two. This is one giant pop-up where you can do all this search. So what I typically do is narrow down the dates for when I saw that spike. So it happened on February 28th, so I start, it's probably actually, instead of February 28th, I like to do a few days ahead of time, like maybe 26th, 27th. I don't know why I took a screenshot with said it like that. But anyway, do a few days before and a few days after, and then I search, the Twitter account for the game, or in this case, the publisher. So use the, the studio that you're investigating, use their Twitter handle, or if they have a publisher, theirs, and just search to see what it results. Guess what I found? This is Annapurna Interactive. Here, sure enough, February 28th, they tweeted that they're at PAX. So in this, then you do a reverse search, you find out, oh, well, this game was in PAX, that's a spike. They made it into PAX. Okay, got it. That's what that spike was for. So you can see, then you go to the, the same SteamDB chart, and you look, and if you see about February 21st to March 4th, they gained about 1,500 wish lists. Aha! So a lot of people will also ask me, should I go to this festival? You know, it's gonna cost me so much to go to this festival. You do the math. You can look up these things on SteamDB, just see what they're doing, see what they cost, and then see other games that were similar to yours or other games that have been in this festival. How many wish lists did they earn? There it is, now you do the math. Is that worth it for you? Is it good, is it bad? I don't know, do the math. So other places that might be the spikes, like sometimes people aren't always responsive on Twitter, so it could be something else. So look at this, search Reddit during that time period, search YouTube. You can use a Google advanced search to narrow down that date range, just like I did on Twitter. All these, you can do those searches. Um, imager, sometimes imager will cause those spikes, so look up those. All those things are things that can cause those spikes. What everybody always asks nowadays, because it's so hot, is TikTok. Should we TikTok? Well, you can do the math too. Look at some viral, you know, TikTokers, TikTokers, uh, find out what happened. Here's one example. This one got 1.7 million views apparently. And then I looked at this game's resulting thing and that little tiny boop right there, it's not the big boop. It's not the big boop on the left. It's the little boop right there where I underlined it. That was the time frame that this thing went live. My math, they got about 2,600 wish lists. Is it good? Yeah, that's pretty good, but I don't know what it took to get there. Um, I went to another one. I don't know how many views this one got. It went pretty viral, it got 43,000 hearts. Don't know if that's a lot. Um, and then you go over to the thing, you go over to steamdb.info, look for the same time period. It got about 200 wish lists out of that. So again, you determine that. We're just putting the numbers on there so you can do that math. If you do go TikTok viral, you're gonna hit about this. Do your research, you can figure this stuff out. All you have to do is a little bit of investigation on these spy tools. So that's how you go viral with these exciting marketing pushes. But the boring daily growth, which is what I love. I love boring stuff if you don't, if you don't realize it. The boring stuff is always where the money is. Um, organic traffic. This is day in, day out where Steam pushes you on, your, on there. 
And it's these long periods. Here's an example of a game that just has this long, slightly uptick over time, boring like erosion. Um, you don't know what it is. You could say, oh, it must be their community. Maybe they're good at Twitter. We can figure it out. Here's the thing is your daily growth is what's really gonna fuel how many wish lists you have by launch. So let's look, let's see what happens here. Here's the next bit of kind of spy gear that we can use. I call it Social Blade and it kind of helps you if you're looking up like their community. So you can look up Twitter stats. Basically what you can do is you can search any Twitter handle. You have to pay for this stuff. This, this one's about $10 a month, but I just did it for one month and I quit it. It's $10, that's not too bad. Um, you can see over time, what were the growth factors for a Twitter account? So I just searched up House House who made um, Untitled Goose Game. You can see when they got their Twitter followers, how many Twitter followers they had over time. And you can kind of compare that to the SteamDB info. So what I've done, I did a lot of research on this. Guess what? Most of your Twitter following actually comes when you launch your game. <laughs> can you see on that chart when, when they launched Untitled Goose Game? Yeah, it's the biggest spike. That's the thing. Um, if you're kind of an indie struggling with getting Twitter followers, release a game. That's how you get Twitter followers. That's that's the secret. So uh, just launch your game and you get Twitter followers. And I'll show you more of this later. But most of your wish list will come from this daily organic traffic that Steam sends you. And guess what the most important thing to get that organic traffic is to have a game in the right Steam audience. Uh, it's gotta be the right genre. Steam loves certain games. Like not, I don't mean Steam, the product and run by Valve. I mean, the people who shop day in, day out on Steam love certain games. Uh, what I did was there was this festival and they had a, a sizzle reel on every page of the festival for each genre. I just went to YouTube to see how many views each sizzle reel got. And this was the results. As you can see, RPG and strategy are like so popular, so much more popular. If you're making a puzzle platformer, it's about one quarter as many views as RPG and strategy. The Steam audience just likes strategies and RPGs. So the best way to get a good, nice organic following is to make a game that Steam likes. Um, it's a little bit more of a struggle if you're making games like puzzle platformers and that sort of thing. So different game genres have different traffic profiles. That's why it's important to compare if you're looking at spying on targets, you pick a target that's making the same game with the same budget, kind of the same quality, because that really determines how well your game is getting exposed. Um, the other way that you can do it, and this is really important, is on steamdb.info, there's a little button with the arrow into a little inbox, I guess. That's the download button. And you can download a CSV chart of their download rate, like how many people are, I'm sorry, of their wish list rate, really the following rate. So you get the CSV file. And what you can do is here's the formula right there. You're just figuring out the delta, how many wish lists change on it every day for, you know, they do about 18 months. You can look at about 18 months of daily increases in follower count. And then I just do an average after I find that delta over, you know, maybe like a month. And you can kind of calculate like, okay, they increase their following rate day in, day out, boring old, slow progress at this rate. So this game that I'm picking here, over, over the months they pick out, they get about three wish lists or three followers per day, 30 followers per, uh, 30 wish lists per day is essentially what they come out to. And this is just some very simple CSV, you know, spreadsheet math. So that's what you're looking at. This game gets 30 wish lists a day. So if you are comparing yours, 
is your daily wish list rate the same as theirs? Now, again, you got to pick similar games to yours and similar production values, similar genres, but that's how you can figure it out. And then you can have that, that sense. Are we underperforming or overperforming? Maybe you should improve your Steam page, uh, figure out ways to do that. You can improve tagging, that sort of thing. You could improve your community outreach. Maybe you're overperforming your competition. Maybe you're in a good spot. Then you can have that, that joyful joy of being better than people. So then the next thing here is how to spy on your competition and not be bad. This is the ethical side of it. My take is no, it's it's okay. It's, it, you can spy on them. It, it, it's publicly available data. And, and here's what it is. We're not actually competing against each other. Um, I know we're both indies and we feel like there's limited dollars, but here's this thing. Like if, have you ever bought a car and you go, there's always the auto mall, well, at least in the US, there's always the auto mall on the outskirts of town. If you look at it, all of these columns are different companies, yet they all went together and they bought this website, keyautomall.com, and they all paid for the same website. And they're like right next to each other, like all these different companies, like advertising their cars, like 12 franchises, all competing with each other. The reason this is, is because it's this economics thing called the economies of agglomeration. And this is from Wikipedia, but we, even when competing firms in the same sector, indie games, there's advantages because clusters attract more customers than a single firm could achieve alone. Um, here's the thing is gamers have these huge backlogs of shame filled with dozens and dozens of games and they're all from the same genre. So if somebody's a fan of roguelikes, they're gonna buy lots of roguelikes. And so if you in another indie team up and say, we're both making roguelikes and you kind of advertise together, that person's probably gonna buy both of your games. They're not gonna buy just one of them. Um, here's an example from Steam just recently put this promotion out, games from Quebec. Um, it was all the developers in the Quebec you know, area got together and got a Steam page featuring, and I know a couple games that got on this, it did very well for them. So when I say we're spying on each other, we're not actually the competition. We're we're on the same team. So sharing each other's data or at least looking what other games did just to kind of get that benchmark of like, am I performing at the right speed? Am I launching at the right amount? That's all just that sharing of information. And by having that kind of open borders to kind of understand what each other is doing, we're actually going to increase each other and, and really support each other to, to both you know end up on that kid's backlog that has tons of roguelikes. So now that we know all these spy tactics, let's look at Valheim because uh, everybody wants to know about Valheim. I, I mean, look at this. If you go to, okay, remember that community news post? Basically every week they say they got another million. It's like, it's insane. It's, it's, it's growing like crazy. So let's do the math here. Let's go to our steamdb.info. Check it out. There it is. It's so it's it's so out of whack. We almost need a logarithmic scale. So they did have a launch. We can see that rel flag. We know where they launched, when they launched. We can actually hover over their launch. Now at launch, they had sixteen thousand followers, about one hundred and sixty wish lists. Now, if you're new to Steam, that is a whole lot of wish lists. If you're thinking Valheim came out of nowhere, it did not. Six. 160,000 wishlists is huge. Very few indie games are gonna make this level. It's And if you're hoping like, well, Valheim just launched and they got all these things, do you have 160,000 wishlists? Probably not. So let's figure out how they got to 160,000 wishlists. Was it Twitter? I, I love this, this is my favorite thing. If you go back to the very first tweet from the Valheim account, which actually wasn't called Valheim at that time, this is our first tweet. 
six comments, 15 likes. <laughs> it wasn't Twitter. Um, like, if you go to that, remember the Social Blade, that other tool that I talked about where you can see the follower counts? When they launched Valheim, they had 1,700 followers. I have more than 1,700 followers. I'm not going to be launching Valheim. I'm not going to be doing my own version of Valheim. So it probably wasn't Twitter. We can look at that, and I'm pretty sure it's not. So if your game's not blown up on Twitter, that's okay. Certain games do well on Twitter. Certain games don't. Valheim's just not a Twitter-style game. Um, let's kind of look at this thing. Now, if you zoom in, now it's, again, logarithmic scale we almost need. But if you zoom in here, you'll see there's a little tiny bump. It's like one pixel on this chart. But let's zoom in and see what happened here. Guess what happened on that date? It was E3, and PC Gamer featured them with this launch trailer. And that, oh, by the way, they also announced that they got Coffee Stain to, you know, publish them. So the combination of E3, getting this PC Gamer, Coffee Stain, all these things hit all on that day, and that's what that little spike was, which under norm, any normal one of our games would look like a huge spike, but in Valheim scale, it's, it's just a little tiny pixel. So that was a big thing. The publisher was huge for this. Um, if you look, now what I did was I looked at the boring, slow, boring, organic growth. Before they had their publisher, they were getting about five followers a day, which is about 50 wish lists per day. Post Coffee Stain, the chart, actually the, the slope increased and they were getting about 12.7 followers a day or about 120 you know, new wish lists a day. So that's what you can see, like, well, how much does a publisher help? You can quantify this. Um, the other thing is you really dig into the stats and when they got those little other bumps, they were on itch.io with an open alpha. And they did lots of betas. You can see through their old marketing, when you go through and dig through it, beta, 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 beta. They were constantly doing betas. They launched in alpha, out, they launched out of alpha on itch.io. So all these little things stack up. They also did a pre-launch streaming campaign. I don't know if it was paid or not, but if you also look on SteamDB, you can see how many Twitch followers they or Twitch views they had. There's a huge spike all on one day. That doesn't usually happen, and this is a day before release. That doesn't usually happen unless they're doing a real streamer outreach. So that tells me that they were doing a big streamer outreach. And here's the thing is a lot of people want it to be just like, well, just Valheim, it was streamers. It was like this one thing, but it wasn't. It was, they did a long development period. Lots of alphas and betas. They got into E3. They had the right publisher who makes those type of games. They launched with 160,000 wishlists. That's so many emails going out saying this game's on sale that you've just wishlisted. They had a pre-launch streamer campaign. They had a genre that Steam loves. And it's a good game in the right genre at the right price. Like all that stuff comes together. It's never one thing. So many people are like, well, they just had a viral tweet. It wasn't. So do your spy homework. Don't just say it's streamers. It's always something complicated. Be a good spy. That's the end. Um, this is me in my, uh, <laughs> I, need, I need a good rusty jacket like that. I love that. Um, here is uh, my guide. Uh, you, I told you about that. It's a book of like how you should email your fans. You know, it's basically uh, how to run a mailing list. You get that book free. I also do this kind of stuff. So what you just read, I send out almost one of those once a week. Some are good, some are bad, but once a week you get kind of analysis kind of like this. So join, it's totally free. And I, to um, I promise it's not spammy. Um, if you need help with your marketing, like figuring out strategy, that's my email address. You're like, I, I need some spy help here. I got gotcha. you. Uh, and there's my Twitter account. Uh, I have more Twitter followers than Valheim before they launched. And then once they launched, I got 50,000 Twitter followers. See, if you want more Twitter followers, just launch your game. That's it. Um, I'm going to 
queue up for questions now. Um, I hope you have questions. I, oh, you, you can hear us now. I can hear you now. I hope I wasn't dead. No, 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 no. You're good, good. All right, <laughs> okay. so first from Bold Spirit Game Studio on YouTube, when do you think is the best time to create a Steam page for your game? Is it possible to do it too early and hurt sales that way? No. It the, the only thing that does matter is if you are a big game who's like had a game before that's done well, or if you're with a publisher, uh, like in other words, like your publisher is publishing something. Here's the reason is when you, if you're a well-known person with like a proven track record, like you made some famous game that people know, let's say you're like John Romero or something. If you launch a game, you can get free press out of that. In other words, like you can go to IGN and say, I'm a famous person and I'm launching my game. Here it is. Um, you know, uh, write a story about me. And then they're going to write a story about your Steam page launching. That's just a marketing beat that you can sell to marketing people or to uh, like uh, the press. You can sell that. If you're a no-name, first-time game, put it out. Just put it out. I mean, look at... <laughs> I shouldn't skip through this much. If you look at Valheim's first tweet, one, they weren't even called Valheim at that time. They were called like uh, an unpronounceable four-letter word, not because it was a bad four-letter word, just because it was it was like E-J-R-N. It was, it was a terrible first name. Look at that. They don't even have a guy. It's just like a... It looks like the straw man. It looks like a tin man or something. Put your Steam page out. Do it tomorrow. Do it tomorrow. That's my advice. Do it tomorrow. Unless you're John Romero, then do a press beat for it. But it doesn't matter what your game looks like. What you're going to see is as your game looks better and better and you get better and better at marketing, hopefully your slow, boring, organic growth from Steam is going to tick up and up and up and up. And then that's a nice thing. It feels good when your traffic goes up and up. So do it tomorrow, dude. The next question from Oleg on YouTube when you launch on Steam, do you pay for ads or fully rely on organic traffic from the marketplace? Um, you in general or me? Per <laughs> I don't know who you is, but um, it could be like, that's the thing is that's what I'm trying to teach you for spy tactics is figure out what you need to fill that gap. You know, if, if you're organic, if you're getting that organic lift naturally from Steam and you know what your general target is by looking at those other games, you can kind of project like, hey, we're on track to hit our target. And if you need a little help extra, pay for ads. And then you can do the math. You're like, okay, well, we paid this much per week and we're seeing this much of a lift. We're going to hit it. And so that's what I'm trying to teach you is you do the math. I, every game is different. Everything else, I'm trying to give you the tools to, to learn this stuff. When you know those kind of numbers, and it's, it's not exact science. I can't tell you specifically you're going to hit those numbers. But you at least know, like, okay, here's my target. Here's our slope. Do we need to increase the slope? Should we pay for ads? Yeah. Did paying for ads increase our slope? Yeah, it did. So try things. And that's what I like about this is it gives you that language like, should we do TikTok? I don't know. Try it for a month. Did it increase our numbers? Yeah, do it. Do it more. And it kind of gives you that kind of metrics to assess whether something's working or not. Because if you're in the dark, it's hard to tell if something works or not. Sign up today for the Indie Game Business Newsletter. It's a weekly source of business news curated for indie dev teams. We've got discounts on all indie game business events and events from all of our partners. You get a first look at the summaries and takeaways from all of our podcasts. There are exclusive opportunities for promotions and early access to new tools for development, monetization, and more. Check it out. Sign up. PowellGroupConsulting.com slash publisher dash list.
So from Arturo on YouTube, we have a lot of YouTube people today. That's good. So <laughs> I think it's linked to YouTube, so. That's that. It's all Chris's fault. Uh, yeah. Is one or two months enough time to market a game? No. So so what's the ideal time? How long do you Yesterday, <laughs> like nine months ago, two years ago. I mean, do it, do it like to that other person that I was saying, put your page up, like get it up now. Here's the thing is, most games need about 10,000. And again, this is why I'm telling you, do your research, do your spy tactics, look up your competition, the other game, figure out how many they needed. Like how many wish lists did they need to reach the numbers that they did? Is your game at that number of wish lists? Okay, then you're gonna need more time. Like, can you expand the timeline? Basically, here's the thing with Steam is, it depends on the game, but it's usually around 10,000. It's kind of when Steam starts opening a few doors for you. like right around 10,000 wish lists. So the longer you have, the easier it is to get to that 10,000. You can't just launch a game and then just have it do well. It, you need to run that campaign that's long-term. And so what I'm saying is either extend it or if you're just ready to send out the game, just put it out. Then you get more Twitter followers. See, when you release a game, you get more Twitter followers. So it depends, but look at those target games so that you understand where your target is. All right, hold on. I, I, I lost my spot. <laughs> Here we go. So from Putt Putt on YouTube, how do you determine pricing? Do you try and stay in line with competitors? Um, this more determines your, your strategy. You know, your, your strategy for your game might be like, oh, hey, we see all these games that are of questionable quality, but they're at a higher price. Your strategy might be, I'm going to undercut the competition. So yeah, lower your price and make that your marketing point. Or you might see a bunch of games that are fun, but they're too cheap, and you think the value, the market's undervalued, and you think it's a strategic thing to say, we are the premium one, we buy, you buy it at a higher price, and you get the premium version of this game. So it's a marketing decision, and you need, the way you do it is you do the spy research to figure out all the games that are in your, you know, your target audience, you know, all the games that are kind of in your genre, and at your quality level, compare them, and see what, how you can pick off the slowest one and kind of like undercut them or overcut them and outsell them. It's, it's really, pricing is actually marketing. It's part of the marketing mix. So be strategic about it. Figure out how you can cut into that, that cluster. And if you're a small indie dev and you release your game for less than $15, I will find you and I will yell at you. I've, I've, I've released a game for, for under that. So I know, but I can't yell at you because you <laughs> talk and, and you're, so do, do as, do as Jay says. Um, so from Taurus studios, would you suggest waiting with launching the game, even if it's ready just to get more wish list to increase probability of success? I, I'm not gonna like, I don't know your game. I've never seen it. Sometimes uh, this is the opportunity cost. <laughs> That's a whole nother talk, but look at the opportunity cost. I mean, sometimes just putting out your first game on Steam is enough because Steam's, Steam's games still sell after launch. Some of them have a really long tail, and sometimes it's good just to get your game out there and just put it out there and you learn a lot, and then your next game will be better. You kind of have to do that math is it, and, and do the opportunity cost. Like, if we keep developing this game, I don't know, look at your slope because it's really hard. Like a game has a soul, I, I kind of think. And it's like no amount of like extra things on top of it are going to make it break out of its just general je ne sais quoi, where it just gets this like general slope. So it might, if you can't get this game, no matter how much you push to increase the slope and get more wish lists on a daily rate, 
it might be time to just say, hey, we had fun, we learned a lot, let's release it, and we're gonna make the next one even better. And then you build off the tech that you did with the first game, and you help the first one to market the second game. There are times where that's just the best thing rather than just keep grinding on this thing that's never gonna produce. I don't know the game, but that's kind of the questions that I ask when I see a, a game like that, where people are like, should I just release it or should I keep grinding away at this thing? Uh, we had one earlier that I, I, I missed. Is SteamDB better than Steam Spy? Um, I don't use Steam Spy very much. Here's the thing is like, it's, I don't even know the algorithm for Steam Spy anymore. The thing I like about SteamDB is it just shows you the history. I don't, I haven't been on Steam Spy in a while just because I don't remember if they show the history. The reason I like SteamDB is it just shows me the history of their follower count. And if as long as if Steam be, if Steam Spy has that history, it's not a, a complicated algorithm. They just every day they look at the Steam page, they scrape the Steam page, and they say what's the follower count, and then they add it to this chart. I'm just looking at the history. It's not a predictive mechanism. It's not a predictive metric. This follower count that I'm using Steam DB for. I'm just looking at points in time of their history. It's just like a stock ticker, basically. So if if Steam Spy has that that follower count history, good on them. Use it. Use it. That's the main reason I use SteamDB is for that history. I don't know off the top of my head. I'd have to go look. So from Daisy Games, if you're a small, no-name, solo indie dev, is it better to have your game reviewed before launch or after? Um, reviewed by uh, who? <laughs> your mom or? Websites. Oh, websites. Um. I, whenever you can get it. <laughs> I mean, uh, if you're small and it's your first game, if somebody says, yeah, do it. I I don't know. Um, my my kind of thought is just just give your game to as many people as you as can hear it. Um, it is it can be good to have more wish lists before you launch. And what happens is somebody will review a game, a site will review a site uh, your game. And if they watch it, and, the, and a lot of people read that site, and they're like, oh, that game sounds interesting. They're going to wishlist it. So when you launch your game, you're going to have that pop where you say an email goes out when your game launches to all the people who wishlist it and says, this game's on sale now. That's the pop that gives that, like, whoa. So I'd actually say beforehand, just so that you get extra wishlists in time of your launch, don't hold anything back. When you're the first time indie, anybody who will listen to you, give them the information. Listen, there's not there's not much strategy. Just Just... If, if there's like an old guy on the bus next to you, tell him about your game. You, you need everybody. You need all the help you can get. Uh, so Arturo from YouTube says, for PlayStation or Xbox games, is there a different strategy? I can't speak to that. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know into my Xbox strategy or, or anything. But uh, I, I can't give you too much. Uh, I don't know the wish list rates. I think Xbox you can wish list. I don't think you can wish list on PlayStation. I don't feel comfortable giving <laughs> advice on those two. Sorry. So from Stevis, if you're marketing a game in a genre that has a small but dedicated fan base, is it a good idea to double down on that genre or to try to market more broadly to other more popular genres? Um, are you talking marketing or making games? Um, so if we're talking marketing, um, I like the idea of you becoming like the number one game in a small pond because sometimes when you're, if you are like, if everybody in this game, very niche genre, gets it and starts telling their friends, like, this is the best game I've ever played in this type of small niche, 
it's going to radiate and stuff happens. This is kind of what happened to Undertale. They there was a fan community over the mother games from Nintendo and they were kind of like modding it and they became like the best kind of like next genre, uh, next evolution of that mother game genre, you know, the, this, the earthbound games and they just kind of like nailed it and they were so cool. And everybody loved that game in that small community. And then it just kind of built out from there. So become a small star, become a big star in a small genre and then if it, if it works, it can radiate outwards from there. So that that's an, a pretty appealing strategy, if, if you ask me. But you got to be good at it. So from Guardian of Language, what are your thoughts on aiming to make an announcement or release trailers that's, quote, designed to go viral as opposed to making a more generic marketing effort? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Go viral. <laughs> you can't. Here's the thing is you can't. You can't plan going viral. I mean, make it exciting. If the, if the difference is between, I don't understand the difference between the two. Like, uh, if if it's boring, I mean, I know I said I like boring, but marketing, uh, the strategy is boring. But you always want all your trailers to be as exciting as possible. So if you're thinking of having some boring person just like read your script versus having something exciting happen in your trailer, go for the exciting trailer. So I, you can ask your question again, but I I think go try and go exciting. But the, here's the here's the main point. If you say like if I say don't go viral, focus on the boring. What I'm saying is, yes, try your hardest to go viral on things, but also think like, what is the long-term strategy? What's my slow growth? How am I getting there? Usually viral is just one little point along a long strategy. So I guess maybe my, my point is when I said, you can either go exciting viral or slow boring. I'm not saying you do one or the other. You're doing both. You always have those um, kind of moments like when your game launches, when you announce, when you have a new publisher, when you get in a festival, those are the spikes, but they're also paired with good uh, strategy, which is just like having a nice daily grind where it's just there. So you need both. So I'm not saying do one or the other. I'm just saying don't, a lot of people think marketing is all about the flash and the like flare, like these one moments. Yes, you need to do those, but also worry about the slow daily growing that you need to do. I think that's mainly my point. And I, if you if you ask again, if I misunderstood your question. So uh, Santiago says, "Hey Chris, very nice talk. Are there any risks we should be aware of when marketing early on in the production stage?" Uh, I don't see any. Especially, I mean, again, I don't know your situation, but if you're a small indie, do it as early as possible. Do as much as you can. You're just trying to build up that thing, and that's what Valheim. Valheim was like basically giving their game away in the early phases. Like, and, and if you look back on the, when they launched out of alpha here on itch.io, they had 23 upvotes, 23. And this kind of goes back to that person's last comment where they like, should we become big in a small niche that I would say 23 upvotes in an alpha back in 2018, that's a niche, but they nailed it in that niche. Uh, and they had four replies. I love how, I love looking at the small numbers at the beginning. You want to be here. This is you like, do it early, even if it's rough. It's alpha. Get a small, dedicated fan group. A long time ago, you you need to start back in 2018. <laughs> so that's my recommendation: is uh, if you're small indie, just give your game to anybody who will have it, because <laughs> you're trying to build up that following, that community for when it when it's time to go out. Who's your favorite actor in sneakers, other than Robert Redford? 
Oh, oh man. Um, uh, I mean, Phoenix. Uh, what's his name? That guy's just look at that. I mean, all I, I pretty much love all the guys, but uh, I, I let's see. Uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna go with Phoenix. What, River Phoenix. That's who it was. River Phoenix. Yeah, he was so cool. That guy's so cool. All right. So Tyler on YouTube says you gave credit to one of the spikes from Valheim to win the when they brought on a publisher, is that spike more from the authority they provided or the resources the publisher was able to put towards PR? This is tricky. I'm not, okay. Well, it's both. Um, so to get into like E3 and stuff, you always have to like know a guy or a girl. I mean, you just have to know somebody on the inside and usually publishers know they have those back door channels to those things. And that's what, um, that's what a publisher can get to you. They can open those doors to get those in there. The other thing, and again, this goes back to the slow boring. So Coffee Stain could get those special deals with, uh, you know, PC Gamer to have an E3 presence. That's awesome. Um, if if you are that, if you can get that, that's great. The other thing that I think Coffee Stain does, if you noticed, uh, let me see if I can find it real quick without making you all vomit. Um, their organic growth, and I don't know what it is. I don't. I tried to figure out what Coffee Stain did for them, but before they announced they were with Coffee Stain and after, they like basically doubled their daily wish list rate. I don't know how that works. I think my theory is that Steam gives Coffee Stain a lot because of Satisfactory, and a person who likes Satisfactory is probably going to like Valheim. So just the the amount of traffic that Coffee Stain's properties get washes over any other game that's also published by Coffee Stain. And I can't point to a single moment, but you can just see, and this is why I like slow boring, looking at the numbers, you can just see there's just something that happens after you're signed on with there. And that's that's what you can do. And you can look at that. So go look at, if you're getting ready to sign for the publisher, do the spy math. I'm, I'm giving you all the spy tools. Just do the math of games that after they sign with the publisher, see what happens to them. So from Severin, is giving your game to Steam curators a good idea for promotion? I don't know. Do the math. <laughs> Here's what you got to do. I'm giving you the tools. So I don't know these answers. Figure out, go to a curator, see when a curator curated a game. Like on Steam, you can find out they posted some, uh, I can't, uh, did they do an alerts or blog posts? Look at that, figure out what game got posted. Then what do you, what do you use? You know, the spy tool, uh, steamdb.info. Go look at that game when they made that announcement and see what happened to them. See when that uptick went. Did it increase their daily following rate? Whatever it is. I'm trying to give you all the tools. So I, I can't answer all these questions. You now know everything I know to do the research. So go do that research. I gave you the thing. Stamedb.info. Look at that thing. See if that event had an increase or a decrease or anything. So that's what I recommend. And here's an extra step you could do. You could then rank all of them and see if there actually are some curators that do better impacts than others. You've got the research, you've got all the tools, you can do it, I, I trust in you. Tell me, when you figure it out, when you do your homework, I'm not gonna do your homework for you. You do your homework and you tell me, and I will, uh, just I'll grab the show. I'm not gonna do your homework for you. <laughs> uh, so that answers their, their second question too. It's like, what's your opinion of the curators? But obviously, I mean, it's like any other- Do your homework. <laughs> any other, outsource i mean not outsource um resource it's like yeah I, I like the idea of rating ranking them that's a when someone makes that list send it to me i'll share yeah it. you got uh, a good blog post on your hands there write a medium article see it'd be good so hey chris thanks for the talk my question this is from lee 
my question is, how do we identify microtrends within the genres in order to apply them to our own game or at least get inspired by it? Buy a lot of games. They're tax deductible if you have an LLC. Uh, they're research. I tacked them. I, I don't give financial advice. You talk to your own accountant. But my accountant told me that she knows of uh, fashion designers who write off their clothes. I, I'm, I'm assuming you're in, a, in the U.S. with this advice. But like, uh, make sure you do this. After talking to your tax professional, but you can write off games if they're for research. You write research, you know, you research those games, play them, look at the YouTube comments, see what people are commenting. You look at the trends. This is the fun of being a, a product person, you know, like figuring out what games are is you look at the trends. You say, like, I think games are trending in this way. And you look at where the puck is going. And you say, like, I think in about three years, this genre is going to be like this. And you're just playing a bunch of games, you're talking to the community, you're looking at what worked and what didn't, you just have a good grasp of those other games, then that's how you make that decision. And that's that's what being a really smart game designer is all about, is looking what the where the market is going, where the players are going, what the trends are. That's the fun of this business. It's not it's not a bad thing. It's it's the fun part of this business. We, we constantly joke that we don't sit around and play games all day just because we work in the game industry. But, you know, the, the side note of that is it's actually very beneficial to play a lot of games if you're in the game industry, because that's where that's where you see this stuff. You're they doing the research. Yeah, I'm not I'm not playing. I'm doing research. But here's the thing. That means you don't spend, you know, 200 hours in Valheim. You spend 20 hours in it and then you go find something else. You can't <laughs> that's, that's play one. You've got to get a big spectrum on these things to see these trends. Um, all right. So I am we've got about 10 minutes left. So if you've got questions uh, for Chris, drop them in here and, and we'll get get them answered. I, I love doing these things because you always have like the most fast paced and, and informative talks out there. And that's also why they are some of the most popular. I wasn't expecting to finish in 30 minutes. I was like, I, I kind of got on a roll there and I thought I was going a little sideways, but wow. So yeah, I didn't finish. I did not be done so early. So yeah, ask away, ask me anything. Uh, so I mean, ask me why Robert Richter is always handing binoculars to people. I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> Aside from Steam, you know, DB, are there any other sites? I mean, you, you mentioned Social Blade for checking to see where these jumps are. Are there any other sites like that that you recommend? Um, Game Data Crunch. Just Google that name. I can't remember if there's dashes in between. Um, that's a really good site, too. They do really good tag analysis where they look at games that are similar. So when you're doing your research, when you're trying to figure out the games that are in your cohort, trying to find all the games in your genre, I like to use that site because they can say, there's a link at the top that says games like this one. And you click that and it uses tag analysis and it can look at the way players have, how many players have overlapped between these games. And it'll give you a long list of games that um, uh, that are very similar to it uh, based on the audience. And so I use that to kind of like do that investigative work to say like, oh, is this game like mine? Or is this the game like mine or this? That's what you need to do. Hold on, we got the link for that. I'll post it here. Ah, yeah. It has really cute food emojis. So I always like that. So when posting your marketing material, social media, is it okay to post the same on all of them or should we make it unique to each platform? Um, you have to make it kind of unique. Here's the thing with, with social media and stuff like that. 
you need to figure out the voice. And this is why I don't like people just blindly doing all of them. I prefer that people do one really, really well. Like they just figure out the voice and the 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 area of that one. And then the other ones, I, it's almost not even worth it. There's there's diminishing returns, or basically there's there's an element of scale. So for example, Valheim did terrible on Twitter. It, it's just not a Twitter game. And so wisely, they didn't care. I mean, I don't know how much they cared, but that wasn't their only strategy. They were building on Steam. Like essentially Steam's a social network. A lot of people don't consider it, I do. Steam was the perfect medium for them. And they knew how to do Steam and they did really well. They were getting, you know, what was it? Like 50 wishlists a day, that's really good. So they had that down. It doesn't matter if you do stuff on Twitter, uh, if you're doing that. If you've got a game that's perfect for Twitter, there's certain games that are just like Twitter games. Optimize for that, be really good and just optimize for Twitter. I know some some other indies, I'm, I'm helping out support them. They are so good at YouTube. Like they figured out the algorithm, they have the right voice, uh, the, what I mean by voice, not physical voice, but just the way they talk about their game. They know how to edit videos for, for, um, for YouTube. They specialize in YouTube. You've got to figure out the one that you really like. And you you figure out the voice, you figure out how to post. You Because it's also about working the algorithm of each one of those social networks. Because it's not just like, oh, you post and do it. You got to know the time. You got to know who your influencer is. You got to build up enough of a following so that they boost your stuff. There's all these things that go into just posting on a social network. Learn one so well that fits your game's voice, visual style, following the type of people who follow it. Don't just like spray across all of them and say, well, none of them work. Social media doesn't work. You got to figure out the right one for your type of game. So that's why I say it really is, you can't just apply the same content. Learn one, maybe two. Have you used Sully Gnome to do, to get Twitch trends? If so, how did you do it? I don't. Um, I don't study Twitch trends as much. Um, I just like Steam DB has like it tells you how many Twitch views a game will have. So I kind of use that. I've never used Sully Gnome, but I'm writing it down. Well, I'm, I'm watching this recording, so I'll follow back. But I'll, I'm curious to see it because I haven't followed uh, Twitch trends. It's also kind of hard because they disappear after a while. So you can't go back and see like what happened. Uh, but I'll check it out. That's a good tip. Sully Gnome. I don't know how to spell that. So <laughs> exactly like it sounds. S U I G N O M E. Yeah, just like it sounds. Gnome. So from John White, what are the most effective paid advertising platforms for Steam games? Reddit. Um, yeah, pretty much Reddit. <laughs> uh, Facebook can be a little better. I mean, uh, Reddit's the best. The best I've seen is Reddit. Facebook can be a little bit better, but you got to have your targeting right. And if you have a mailing list, you can use your mailing list to do a lookalike audience to get um, better targeted ads. But Facebook and Reddit are the top two. So Reddit paid ads or Reddit like just posts? Reddit paid ads. Really good. Yeah, I know that. I don't think here's the thing is I don't think they know quite what they're doing yet. Sorry if Reddit's listening, and you can kind of use that arbitrage to your advantage and kind of <laughs> you can kind of tweak the stats a little bit, uh, the the bids and stuff. I don't think they're as sophisticated. Whereas like Facebook is like so they've got it down like they know what they're doing. So you can't juke the system. Whereas Reddit you can kind of like you can kind of over leverage them. I don't think they quite know how, how what they're doing. So I, I use that. Uh, uh, you know, inexperience to their, against them. So that's why I say right now, Red's pretty good. All right, we've only got a couple of more minutes, so I doubt we're going to get to all these questions. But if we don't get to your questions, 
Chris is in the Discord, and so yeah. we have oh, and comment questions in there, and you can post your questions, and we'll get to all the ones that we're not getting to. Just a heads uh, up, I do have a meeting, everybody, at 11. So, well, in, in the next three minutes. So post them, and I'll answer them after my meeting. I just, I, it's a meeting day today. So do, post them. I just want to answer them for a little while. All right. So uh, Jay says, talk of PC games, assume Steam. What about GOG, Microsoft? What do the numbers say about other outlets? Uh, they don't really sell very well. Um, now, uh, there are there are other reasons, like Microsoft pays for you to be on their platform, Epic pays for you to be on their platform. But if you're just going for raw sales, itch.io, even though I said Valheim did good with itch.io, itch.io is good for community building, but you're not going to get much money out of it. It seems pretty much the only way to go if you're just selling your game. If they're not incentivizing you to be on their platform, it's got to be Steam. I, 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 I'm not in love with Steam, but they pay the bills. Like that's Steam pays. Like no, the other platforms just are also rands. Um, Arturo, what is the average conversion rate from Steam visits to wish list? I don't know the average. Uh, and it depends, again, it depends on the genre. Do, do your homework, you know? <laughs> Just look at, here's what I would do is, uh, the main thing is you want to kind of look at, Steam's really noisy. Sometimes you get featured and stuff, so your your numbers go all crazy. I more look at wish list rates, and you find the wish list rates by Steam DB. And just look, that's why I say look at the other games in your genre and close to yours and see what their wish list rate is. And that's how you can determine if you need to improve your page or something. So if games that are similar to yours, and you got to be honest, like, is our art as good as theirs? You look at their conversion rate, like how many wish lists they get on a daily basis. If you're not quite there, you need to do something. You need to improve, you know, your stats. That's the most important thing. It's look at the wish list rate. That's the bottom line. All the other numbers, like impressions, conversion rate, visits, they're noisy. They're really noisy. So focus on wish lists. All right. Chris has got to go. He's got a meeting. I got a meeting, but comment. <laughs> Comments over at discord.gg slash indie game business. We will get to all of the rest of these. So thank you all very much. We're going to go away for about a minute or so, and then we'll be right back with our next talk. See y'all. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.